to the jury. The prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Folks, we are going to forgo with our usual opening and uh, get right down to our guests because the topic is so important right now. I just want to let everyone know um, a couple of things, uh, folks, before we start out the program. This will be a commercial-free program, and uh, we're not accepting any sponsors uh, for tonight. I I really would urge everyone just to please listen to the content and, and pray. Uh, pray and, and listen. Also, uh, we do have a couple of prayer requests. Folks, if you can find it in your heart, um, my friend of 50 years, 50, that's right, five zero, fifty 50 years, his wife is, uh, well, he, he, both he and his wife were dying. And I spoke to him today for, for, for quite some time. And, um, his wife is in Roswell Can- Cancer Center. And, uh, you know, 50 years is a long time to know someone. And uh, his wife has, has cancer, and he's got uh, some serious illnesses, and neither one have more than a year to live. So if you can find it in your heart to, to please pray for my good friend Randy and his wife Sue, I would really, really appreciate that. And also, folks, uh, Debbie in Arizona, please um, keep her in your prayers as well. She's been a long time listening to this program. Now I'm Doug Hagman at the Helm with fellow investigative researcher. And most importantly, my son, Joe Hagman. Together we are the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, you know, Joe, Jesus, uh, or right now the world is awash in wickedness and followers of Jesus and the world must fulfill their vital role as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And the battles that lie ahead, like it or not. Why don't you, why don't you bring on our guests tonight? Yeah, we have a, a very special show for tonight. Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Pastor David Langford from voiceofevangelism.com. And we had the pleasure uh, at the Hear the Watchman conference to sit down and speak with Pastor Langford. We had the pleasure of listening to him, uh, his Sunday morning ser- sermon, which was just fantastic, and do a behind-the-scenes interview with him. And, uh, you know, got to spend some time with not only him, but his wife and uh, it was a great weekend. But with that, Steve and Pastor Langford, welcome. I'm going to turn it to you, Steve. Well, thank you, Joe. Tonight is a very important subject. I was talking to Pastor Langford and your dad uh, the other day, and I want to start out with Psalm 11, uh, the second verse or the fourth verse. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, his eyes behold, his eyelids try. The 
children of men. And a little bit uh, now, maybe seven days ago, and by the way, I want to start out by saying thank you, Doug, for bringing up the fact that I was really sick. And the prayers of the people really caused me to turn the corner. For, for years, I've been fighting a respiratory thing, and once I get it, I don't shake it outside of the grace of God. But I had called David and Kim the day that uh, I think they were headed down there, and then you asked the people to pray. So I put up a thank you on my alerts on stevecoil.com. But again, I can tell you this, that by the grace of God, it appears I've kicked this thing in a little over seven to eight days, which is, in, well, it's, it's never happened to me before. So I thank God for his people, and I thank all of you for praying for me. About a week ago, I was again in the shower. You know, if I could live there, I probably would. But the deal is, as the Lord spoke to me, he said, Steve, you don't have a complete understanding of Psalm 11. Because I quote it in the context of nations all the time. I quote it in the context of the United States of America, the foundations being destroyed. We're watching liberty and justice. But he said, you're not applying it to my people's lives. They do not have the foundation of my word, and therefore Satan is de destroying them. Obviously, everyone knows the scripture about the devil going about as a roaring lion. Also, everyone should be familiar with the statement from God's perspective that the the lack of knowledge god's people lord speaking first person my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge so the point that is going to be brought out tonight is from the time of the garden of eden to the point in revelation we are at war it is not something that we choose it is not something we chose and it is not something we can escape from both in the world in our personal lives and our family because the devil is active and i think tonight is the fitting place to start out is genesis 3 12 through 16 and then david i'll turn it over to you after i make a couple points and we'll go back and forth, because it's really important that people understand this. Genesis 3.15 was called by the early church fathers the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first preaching of the gospel and the most pronounced and clear promise of God's ultimate victory through his Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Starting at the 12th verse of Genesis 3, And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, and all the days of your life. Now here it is, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The word enmity is an amazing word, because it, these are just a few of the descriptive terms. It means hostility, animosity, antagonism, friction, animus, acrimony, bitterness, rancor, resentment, aversion, bad feelings, ill will, bad blood, interesting, we'll get to that later in the show, hatred, loathing, malice, spite, a venomous, hmm, malevolence. 
You know, when we use the word Doug, Joe, and David, a venom, that someone's got a venomous tongue, that's exactly what it's referring to, is the enmity that is be put between the seed of the woman. Now remember, normally, under a normal uh, human existence, the seed would come through the man. It's always talked about uh, in every basic form of uh, understanding, the seed of the man. But in this case, the seed of the woman, promising a supernatural birth, a supernatural event, something not normal, something beyond what had ever been seen. Before we were on the, the uh, radio, ladies and gentlemen, somebody wants to search for this. I'm curious because I'd like to uh, give the number of all the battles in the Old Testament. Uh, there are guys that put them out, you know, listed them all, but I didn't have a chance to count them. But from the beginning, battle begins in Eden, and the battles begin at the fields of Megiddo, known as the Battle of Armageddon. The warfare that we are fighting is absolutely of eternal consequences. No one can escape the eternal consequences of their actions, and no one can escape the warfare that's on earth. But God can deliver us from the battle, and in the midst of the battle, from all of the ramifications. You know, Pastor, as I look through all the battles, whether it's the Battle of Jericho, the Battle of Ai, even the Battle of Armageddon, there is no event at all in the battles that the children of Israel or the people of God fought that the victory wasn't given to them by the Lord against overwhelming odds. I'm afraid that most people try and fight even the contemporary battles, and I've been guilty of it too, and repented, that we try and fight it, number one, in our own understanding, number two, in our own strength, and number three, we fail to identify what we're truly up against. We fail to acknowledge as Christians the magnificence of Jesus Christ and his victory. You know, what's fascinating to me is that even in the book of Acts, 17:28, it says, for in him, Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Quantum physics just came out with a new understanding of that called superposition, how two atoms can be in two places at the same time. Well, guess what? God has superpositioned us in his son Jesus Christ that we're seated in heavenly places. So tonight we're trying to, by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, bring the battle into focus, but also show you the victory that the living God has promised for, through the faith in his son, through the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimonies, and loving not our life unto death. And so the foundations that need to be established are basic biblical understanding. And now I understand. Look at how weak, look at how powerless that which professes itself to be Christianity, to be an expression of Christianity, how we helplessly sit back, watch our brothers and sisters slaughtered, how we sit back and and watch Molech's appetite for the unborn becoming greater and greater, how blood throw, flows throughout the uh, world, and the silence is oh, not only overwhelming, but it's deafening to the point of that uh, literally only God, and I say this, can arise, touch his people's heart to believe him, that will go ahead and proceed with this war. Again, Genesis 3.15 makes it mandatory and declares how it will play out and that's where we're going to go tonight. We're going to go as the Holy Ghost leads us. And so I'm going to turn it over to you now, David. Well, thank you, Steve. And 
thank you, Joe and Doug, for affording Steve and I the opportunity to share the Word of God. You know, I oftentimes hear Christians and people in general say, you know, I don't want to be in this battle. I don't want to be in this war. I'd rather keep a neutral disposition. But that's impossible. Uh, you're either with God or you're against God. You, you, you can't have any middle ground there in your life, though you may choose that and say, that's what I want. But if that's what you choose, you will ultimately backslide. You will certainly grow indifferent uh, in Christ. Uh, Paul admonishing Timothy, Second Timothy 2 and 3, he said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He calls Timothy a soldier. Then he says in verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Uh, we are soldiers. I know we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, and we're traveling through this world. But we're also soldiers, and we are in a battle. And Paul described it as a good battle. First uh, Timothy 6.12, he said, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold to eternal life. What you're fighting for is eternal life. What Satan is fighting you about is to keep you from obtaining eternal life. And because of sin, and it's passed on to every man, as Steve well said in Genesis 3.15, that was the beginning, that was the conception, the disobedience to God. According to his word, they disobeyed God. They ate, partook of the forbidden fruit of the tree. I want to share something here because it just came to me back to my mind. The tree was not good and sin. The tree was good and evil. Because sin and evil are not the same thing. I know many times we use that and we interchange that all the time when we're talking about sin, iniquity, or wickedness or anything like that. But evil is what is manifested after the results of sin. That's why he called it, excuse me, the tree of good and of evil. You know, many people question Isaiah 45 and 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. But the reason that's important is because God did not create sin. I want you to get that. God did not create sin. Lucifer was the creator of sin. Ezekiel 28, 15, That was perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou was created until iniquity or the works of sin were made manifest or found in you. So when God said to Adam and Eve, you can partake of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of good and of evil, because evil is the wretchedness, the debasedness, the debauchery, um, uh, death, murder, chaos. That's all the results of sin. And so once this sin was committed in the Garden of Eden, man has been reaping evil from that point onward. I want you to get this tonight. It was not a tree of good and of sin. It was a tree of good and of evil because God knew when they sinned that evil would have to follow them. You see, that's why the devil tempted Jesus to turn the stone into bread. 
the word tempter there in the Greek means to make one evil. He wanted Jesus to sin so he would reap the re repercussions of sin with bad, evil things happening in his own personal life. But, of course, Jesus refused. And so when we witness evil in the world, we witness this evil because men have sinned. They have transgressed God. And, 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 and we're commanded of Paul to fight the good fight of faith. What we are fighting is trying to keep ourselves from sinning, because sinning is the very thing that grieves the Holy Ghost. The the evil is the repercussions or the uh, uh, the results of the sin. If if a man gets drunk, he goes down the road. He has an automobile accident. He kills someone, and he he maims his own body and he loses a limb. He loses an eye, etc. That's the evil part. But what created that evil was he transgressed God's commandment about not being drunk uh, with liquor, etc., whatever the case might be. So this is why we have so much evil, is because we have so many people sinning. And so when you sin, you lose your ability to fight the good fight and to war off what Satan is trying to induce into your life. You see, so Paul told Timothy, he said, endure hardness which means you're sometime going to encounter grave hardships in your life solely because you're trying to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. As a soldier, Satan wants all of us to be treasonous. He wants, to leave, he wants us to leave our post. That's where we get the word apostasy. The root word of apostasy is post. That's the middle of the word, post, P-O-S-T. Well, what's happened when one apostatizes? They leave their post where they have been positioned in Christ, in heavenly places, and they forsake that. They abandon that. And because of that, we now reap those repercussions. Um, it's our responsibility to walk as close as we can to God and to keep ourselves from evil. I was telling Steve this morning in a phone conversation, the reason I, li I like living in the country I'm not confronted with all the carnality and all the flesh that the city presents to me. You know, I've been to malls, I've been to restaurants, I've seen women with their breasts about to fall out, uh, the cheeks of their hind ends about to fall out. Well, if you're a man, your mind, if you're not careful, will begin to drift and to go places and begin to dwell on those things, and then you begin to commit lust. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So the sin that is committed brings forth the evil, such as adultery then brings forth the severing of the marriage, the brokenness of the children's hearts and the home. Uh, two families are utterly ruined and destroyed. Uh, it, can, it can take down an entire business. A man can be a godly Christian businessman. And he falls into that snare. He falls into that trap. And the whole business is ruined because the devil took out the leadership. We, it, that's why Ephesians 6 and 12, Paul said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Didn't say we weren't wrestling. He didn't say we were not fighting, that we were not warring. He said we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so Satan has a military, literally 
He has a designed military of different structures, different level. And uh, he's using those entities that fell with him when Satan rebelled against God to work against us. And that's why we, we fight. You know, uh, sometimes that's why some people backslide. They get tired of fighting and they say, you know, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. Well, you can't quit. You can't give up. When Paul was about to be executed, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, 7, and 8, he said these very renowned and famous words, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also them also that love his appearing. So Paul fought all the way up to his execution. And we're told in Second Chronicles sixteen, verse nine, and this is this is this is the danger of drifting away from God, as Steve alluded to, in losing battles. We're supposed to win. And Second Chronicles uh, 16 and 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect or mature toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore henceforth thou shalt have wars. When, when, when we start living foolish lives, we lose the wars. We lose the battles. Remember in Daniel chapter 10, when he was fasting and praying those 21 days, the demon, the prince of Persia, withstood him. But he was persistent. He didn't stop praying. He didn't stop fasting. He did not capitulate. He did not surrender. And so the angel, Gabriel, uh, was trying to get to him, of course, to give him the answer. And so Michael then fought the demon of Persia while Gabriel came and gave uh, uh, Daniel the answer that he was seeking for. And, and so we have to understand this battle is constantly going on. And it's, it's a hard battle. I, I would be derelict. I would be remiss if I said it was easy. Anybody can be a drunk. Anybody can be a fornicator. Anybody can be an adulterer. Anybody can watch pornography 24-7. It, it doesn't take anything to do that. But it takes a godly man, it takes a godly woman to put their foot down and say, I refuse to yield to that. I refuse to go there. I refuse to submit my members, which are the members and the righteousness of God, to become members of unrighteousness, which are unholy towards God. Thus, James 4, 7 said, Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. And, and, and in these battles, we don't have much time to make a decision. Joseph didn't have much time to make his decision when Potiphar's wife finally put her hands on him. She begged him. She pled with him. She said, Just lie down with me. She didn't say, have sex with me, fondle me, caress me. She just pled with him, just just come over here and lay down on the day bed with me. Just, just lie with me. But see, her lust had consumed her to the degree she took a hold of Joseph physically 
And so being a man of war, he fled out of his garment. He refused to compromise and let her seduce him and, and sin against not only Potiphar, whom he said has made me Lord over his house and everything he has, but I cannot do this evil against my God. I cannot commit this sin. And so he didn't have long to tarry and make a decision, but see his commitment. His heart was so towards God, he knew exactly what to do. First Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. The, the word escape there in the Greek means it's an exit. We walk into a building, we see ex exit signs telling us how we can get out of that building other than the door we came in. Well, the Holy Ghost gives us exit signs in the battle to get out of the heat of it so that we don't succumb to it and are defeated. Now, it's up to you to look for the exit sign. It's up to you to trust God. Uh, uh, Psalms thirty-seven twenty-three: the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, I want you to get this, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, but the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. In other words, God won't lose you if you don't want to be lost. I've always used the analogy of my children when they were growing up. They're two, they're three years old. We're walking across a parking lot, an asphalt parking lot. I have them by the hand. They stumble. But as being the dad, I have the physical strength to pull them up so they don't skin their knees. They did not utterly fall. Why? I picked them up. Why? Because I love them. I don't want them hurt and their knees bleeding. So if you will pursue God... <clears throat> desire to walk with God, though you stumble, he said, you will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him. And uh, I've made up my mind, you know, that I'm, I'm going to serve God, and I intend to fight. You know, uh, they, 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 they tried to disrupt our meeting in Dallas, uh, but I made up my mind. I was going to the pulpit. I was going to preach no matter what. Because either God is going to watch over me and let me speak his word, or he's not. And I refuse to let people and the enemy knock me out of the battle. Remember Paul's words. I, I, I preached a message years ago on five knots. Not K-N-O-T-S, but N-O-T-S. Five knots. And you'll find those knots in Second Corinthians chapter 4 beginning at verse 7. Paul said, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's the treasure? It's the Holy Ghost. God's put the Holy Ghost in us, earthen clay jars. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's your first not. It's not of us. It's of God. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. There's your second knot. We are perplexed, but not in despair. There's your third knot. Persecuted, but not forsaken. There's your fourth knot. Cast down, but not destroyed. There's your fifth knot. Always bear 
declaring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So we have something in us that will help us to fight this good fight and not surrender, not capitulate, not give in. And this is why it is so important to pray and to read your Bible. I want to share a little story, and I'll give it back to Steve here. But when Russ Disdar preached Friday night, uh, he made an altar call, and and I and I work with my brethren in the altars. So I, I went down and I began to pray for people, and I was praying with this couple, and for whatever reason, I didn't know at the time, but God did. I looked at the brother. I said, "Sir, do you pray with your wife?" He said, "No." I said, I feel led to tell you, you need to start praying with your wife. Do you hear me? Yes, sir. Well, I preach Sunday morning. I make an altar call. Now, there were so many people in the altar. I didn't even attempt to get in the altars and pray with people because I would say there were three or 400 people down there in front of the altar. So I just asked the Holy Ghost to do the work. After the service, and I was getting ready to go change clothes for the baptism, this brother walked up to me crying profusely. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, he said, the reason I could not pray with my wife is because I was committing adultery. And he said, I know you didn't know that when you said that to me. He said, but when you made the altar call today, I confess to the Lord my sin. I confess to my wife my sin. She forgave me. God reconciled our marriage. He healed our marriage this morning in the altar. And he said, now I am determined to pray with my wife. And I said to him, if you had been praying with her all along, this may have never happened. I said, but now that you've got it right, Praying with your wife now will keep you from falling back into that sin. And now if you say, well, I don't feel like praying with you today, I said, there goes a yellow flag. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a warning signal. Why not pray with me again now? So that gives a man and his wife accountability. These are the things that God is doing in these meetings. And, and it's important that we preach a pure, unadulterated word, because I've realized more and more and more there is so much sin, so much wickedness. People confess to me you know, their dads molested them, uh, sibling molestation, uh, adult, I even had a homosexual come back there and, and talk to me uh, after I preached Sunday morning and was telling me he was trying to practice celibacy. I said, not as a homosexual, sir. Celibacy as a heterosexual, and you don't have sex again until you get married to a woman. Do you understand me? He said, yes, sir. He said, I, 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 I've been, a, I think he told me he'd been practicing celibacy now for like a year or so. But I said, if you're practicing celibacy because of sodomy, you're practicing it for the wrong reason. Young man, in his 20s, I would dare say. But, People need to hear the truth. And, and and that's what aggravates me as a preacher. 
I don't see preachers preaching this way. That's why the churches are so full of sin. They're not equipping the saints to fight the good fight. My, my job, every, every, everyone that has any capacity in ministry, your job is to equip the saints. Why? Because this is a true bona fide battle. It's a true warfare. This, this thing is so real. And yet people, this is why people are living in sin. Ephesians 4.11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. You see, we're, we're scattered abroad in our faith as a church today because preachers are preaching junk and cotton candy and fluff and stuff and not telling people the truth, giving them the meat of God's Word. And that's why their homes, their families, their marriages, their lives are so messed up. I mean, they're just flat out messed up. Why? We're in a war and they're losing the war because they're not being equipped. And it's high time, you know, and, and, and I get so tired of the jockeying ministers wanting this place or that place or this posture, that posture. We're working for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We've got to get committed ourselves before you can help somebody else. you got to start doing the right thing before you can tell your brother how to live. Get the, the telephone pole out of your own eye before you try to get the toothpick out of your neighbor's eye. There's so much of this going on. And that's, that's why we're an, an emaciated-looking church. But the real church is not emaciated. The real church is glorious. The real church is powerful. The real church is anointed. And the real church is doing battle. And the real church is winning wars. And that's why so many people fail in their church, because the preacher won't say anything about the way they're living. And so, you know, with, with Steve and, uh, and myself and Joe and Doug affording us the opportunity to come here and just share the truth, I got an email from a guy who said, I'm looking forward to three hours of pure, unadulterated truth. Why? Because he needs that to give him the power to fight the good fight. And if we don't soon step up to the plate, there's going to be a lot of blood on ministers' hands because they were not equipping the saints of God. I'm not interested in your dreams. I'm not interested in your so-called visions. I'm interested in the Word of God that, as Paul said, it edifies the body of Christ until we all come in the unity of the faith. And we know that the faith and the unity is fragmented because we're not on the same page. If, if we believe the same Bible, then the messages, the sermons, that there should be some similarities in them. But man, I've never seen such diversified gospels and sermons in all of my life. But that's because they're not living in the Word of God. Steve, I'm going to give it back to you, sir. Well, David, I think that the word enmity, it's to end strife and envy, are so much a function of the carnal mind. Romans 8, 6 through 8. For to be carnally minded is a death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So then they, excuse me, that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now that's a really strong word in Romans, but it 
even gets more specific in uh, uh, Friendship with the World in James 4. Enmity, you are an enemy of God. The modern church wants to kiss the devils behind and just be one happy family, uh, you know, of universalists denying the very God who saved them, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, these are the things that are enmity with God. Friendship with the world, a carnal mind, and love of the world. First John two fifteen through 16. And it says, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Yet we're part of it. See, that's the dichotomy, ladies and gentlemen. We function in a world that is totally under judgment. The neatest thing about, well, forgive me, everything's cool about Jesus, but the most <laughs> wonderful aspect, here we go again with my favorite 100 scriptures, the most amazing thing uh, to me, even as one of the rankest pagans, is absolutely, uh, you know, in the pit of hell, was the fact that I knew what I was, and Jesus said, I will forgive you. Instantly, I understood that only Jesus could forgive me. That was a that was a gift of God, faith to believe that Jesus would forgive me. And when I figured out that God had created mankind, based on the presentation of the gospel, for the first time in my life did I ever hear it, the point being is I responded to an offer, and I understood my lifestyle was worthy of death and damnation. Obviously, people tell me to go to hell and I'd invite them to come along with me. But the point is, is that God translated me into heavenly places. Now it's important for people to understand that when Adam fell, and here it is, David, the root of evil, this is where it's lost in contemporary Christianity. They do not understand, first and foremost, who Jesus is, and second, what he did and who, and who he is and what he did for us. Let's just go through a couple things because this is, this is really important. First of all, when Adam and Eve, Eve obviously sending first, Adam following suit, there was a change in the Adam nature, and it produced corruption. Now, the only thing that can help us to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust is the new birth covered by the blood of Jesus, wherewith we become a new man in Christ Jesus. Satan usurped the realm of Adam's authority, and we'll get to that in the temptation of Jesus. The Adamic race, the descendants of Adam, became subject to the demon harassment and control, and Adam's whole realm became subject to vanity. Isn't it interesting? I saw, I saw somebody over the weekend, and I gave him such a hard time, they had a selfie stick, okay? A selfie okay. stick is a thing that, you know, you hold an iPhone. For the record, number one, I don't think I've ever taken a selfie, and number two, I don't intend to ever take a selfie, but I called them narcissistic sticks, and the whole the whole world now has become in love with their own image. Isn't that amazing, Doug and Joe? I mean, I'm not kidding you. You see people walking off this, walking off that, walking into trains, walking into subways, falling under the tracks, walking out into an intersection, and they get run over. The end result of vanity and narcissism is death. But we were subject to the vanity because of sin that entered the human race. 
the Adamic race became identified with Satan in guilt and rebellion, and therefore subject to God's judgment. Now, I've, I've written extensively in the book Xenogenesis, and before that in Genetic Armageddon. The oldest lie in the world goes to Eden. The newest lie in the world goes back to Eden. But let's call it a techno-garden, because now the richest of the rich are being told, ye shall not surely die. The devil shows up, gives them more money than you know anybody can even imagine. And what's their number one goal? Their number one goal, the rich, you can read it on Drudge Headlines, is to be able to live forever without Jesus and forget ever having to stand before eternal judgment. Is that a true statement? Do you think that's a true statement, David? Hey, absolutely. The truth is, every man will stand before God and give an account of his life. Right. And and listen, in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, and I hope everybody goes back and listens to this, because if David and I don't cover a third of Strong's Concordance in one night, we haven't really done our business. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Jesus is called the last Adam. In the Gospels, more than 80 times, he calls himself the Son of Man, or Ben-Adam, Son of Adam. Hebrews 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews 2, 11 through 17. He that sanctifies is Jesus. They who are sanctified are all believers. All of one are God the Father. Jesus acknowledges, now this is cool, all believers as God's children and his brothers. Jesus became the divinely appointed representative of the whole Adamic race that culminated on the cross. And this is what, this is the greatness of the gospel. This is the fantastic uh, uh, revelation of love that cannot stand in any parenthetical insert. It stands against all definition. It stands against all uh, uh, opposition to it. That God, Jesus the Son of the living God, became sin for us. A, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a really heavy thing. The Lord made to meet together upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Iniquity literally means rebellion and all its evil consequences. Now we're seeing the mystery of iniquity playing out. Jesus, the Son of God, took upon himself all the evil due by justice to the sons of Adam, that in return the sons of Adam might receive all the good due by eternal right to Jesus as the Son of God. Wow! That is an exchange made at the, Christ, uh, at the cross by Jesus Christ. Now again, what's important is, I'm going to run through a few things, David, and I'll hand it back to you, but... In Isaiah 53, 5, Jesus was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him. Jesus received the punishment due to our sinful acts that we might have peace, forgiveness, and reconciliation to God. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, he had borne our griefs, our sicknesses, carried our sorrows and pains. With his stripes we are healed. Now it's amazing to me that that how should I say this, that the world that claims to be Christians, especially the false prophet and his crew, Lucifer Lips, are absolutely uh, doing everything they can to denigrate, to come against the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. Obviously, it doesn't matter to the Christians now that the Savior of the universe is maligned, is mocked, is scorned, is ridiculed, is absolutely subjected to the most horrific inferences in the world. And I've said to the Lord in prayer, 
God, I don't know how your patience and long-suffering can put up with this stuff. It is so offensive. And I said, God, as a father, I'm a father because you were the first father. This is how I pray. And, Lord, I would never allow someone to speak evil of my beloved children like that or my wife. Yet, yet God, we allow, and we do, we're a bunch of, I better say this, gently and more kindly, we are a bunch of non-revealing and non-revelated cowards because we will not take the stand for the God of the universe that the Muslims and the devilish uh, uh, slaughter they're doing. They take the stand. They're, you know, they don't get a chance to grow up in the faith. They blow up in their faith. But the bottom line is determination. This is why I believe, David, God said his people are not only destroyed for lack of knowledge, but are like sheep led to the slaughter. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? If sheep are being led to the slaughter, it's due to the wolves that are in the pulpits. If sheep are being led to the slaughter, it's by the wolves that are in the pulpit. I'll finish this up. Isaiah 53.10, Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. The sin offering became identified with the sin of the one who offered it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness, that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. This is called the exchange made at the cross. Look what Jesus gave up so that we might have it all. Jesus gave it all up. 53.10, it was the Lord's will to bruise him unto sickness. Matthew, I'm sorry, Micah 6.13, I will make thee sick and smiting thee. Everything that happened to Jesus in 3 John 2, the physical provision of God for the believers is to be in health. But it's all faith in the name of Jesus which provides perfect soundness. Our point tonight, ladies and gentlemen, both Pastor David Langford and mine, and thank you, Doug and Joe, for letting us uh, go where the Lord is absolutely leading us, is to get people to understand that the only thing that can renew our minds, renew, make fresh again, is the Word of God. If you ask yourself this, and David, you got a lot of feedback at the conference, uh, you know, but uh, people are languishing. The bread of heaven has turned stale because it's no longer the bread of heaven. It's mass-produced entertainment. And, you know, the only thing I can say is this. Moses goes to the mountain, Aaron's down with the children of Israel, and they begin to party hardy, and pretty soon... I can't say that Aaron got drunk, but the people made him do this. And I want to share something. No man of God in the Old Testament or in the New Testament will allow the opinions of people to take precedent over the direction of God. The only one that's recorded in a big way uh, has, as, as having done that is King Saul. The people made me do it. If I took the suggestions that are given to me in the 40 and 50 page uh, uh, epistles, by the way, they're not from the Apostle Paul, they're from the Impossibles named Paul, 
and I'm not talking about uh, St. Paul. Paul, uh, you know, we're talking, not that Paul, but Dave and I both sometimes compare notes, and we get the multiple page, I'm, I'm sorry, it's a multiple paged edition of everything that some sometimes nameless person wants us to do. Let me share this. When Pastor David Langford, when Doug Hagman, when Joe Hagman, when I stand before the living God, our critics will not stand with us. The people that uh, flattered us or destroyed us or slandered us will not be there. The only thing that will be there between us and the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, where the rewards of faithfulness or unfaithfulness are handed out, is that which we have done for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because one of the most important principles, now I'm turning over to you, David, that mankind, especially those who claim to be, quote, Western Christians, they do not believe they will stand accountable to the living God. Go ahead, David. Well, they've preached such a thin theology and such a sloppy, greasy grace that just anybody can be saved. I know right before I went to the pulpit Sunday morning in Dallas, and I knew it was God, this lady just grabbed me by the hand. I was on my way up to the podium, and she said, Pastor, I just want to tell, say to you, thank you for preaching such a pure word. She said, because I was attending a church, I just left it. Because the pastor told me if he was committing adultery and the trump of God sounded, he would go in the rapture. Now, I usually don't allow people to get me on my way to the pulpit because I don't want things on my mind to distract me from the Holy Ghost. But I knew why God allowed that woman to get a hold of my left hand as I was walking up to the podium because he wanted that fresh on my mind because there's there's a teaching and a doctrine out there that God has forgiven you of your future sins that's a lie straight out of hell you cannot give me one Bible verse that demonstrates that I'm going to prove something to you tonight to show you that that's error Joe can I ask you, are you in covenant and marriage with your wife? Mm-hmm. Doug, are you in covenant marriage with your wife? Absolutely, sir. Steve, are you in covenant in marriage with your wife? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in covenant marriage with my wife. Okay, we claim we're in covenant with God through redemption. So I beat my wife, I curse my wife, I slap my wife, I slander my wife, but I don't have to ask her to ever forgive me because I'm in covenant with her and she's supposed to take that mess and just live with it whether she likes it or not. That's what these apostates and reprobates are saying about God. God, I can lie. I can fornicate. I can cheat. I can commit adultery. I can steal. And it's all under the blood because I'm in covenant with you. So I don't have to repent. Well, how long do you think your marriage is going to last, sir, if you slap your wife around and you curse her? Or wife, if you're unfaithful to your husband and he finds out, how long How long do you think that marriage is going to last unless there's some repentance and some, from, some forgiveness and reconciliation in that? Why do you think God gave us Ephesians 5, 
25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So for people to stand and make statements like, your future sins are already covered, how can that be biblically sound? Again, it's like me slapping my wife, cursing my wife, demeaning my wife, and say, hey, it's too bad, girl. You're in covenant with me, so I don't ever have to ask you to forgive me of anything. You see, these are the, these are the heresies. And you can get mad, and you can email me, and you can say what you want to say. It ain't going to bother me, because I know the truth. That's error. That's erroneous doctrine and teaching. All sin must be confessed and repented of. And if we don't live right and confess our sin, that's why we're losing so many battles. Did you know divorce is as high in the Christian church as it is in the world? Now, don't get me wrong. There are, there are legitimate bona fide grounds for divorce. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about people who are justifying their sins and saying, well, it's all right because God's done took care of it. He's not taking care of anything that you've not repented and confessed. Why do you think the Bible said in 1 John 1, 9, if, there's that big two-letter word, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I abuse my wife, I have to come back to her and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And if I treat her like that on a daily basis, she's not going to stay with me. Because I have broken the matrimony of loving her. And as Paul said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So you're to love your spouse to the degree of giving yourself for her, if need be. So men that preach these fallacies and these heresies and these mendacities, they're leading people astray doctrinally. You can't do that. That is wrong. This is why we have such a convoluted church today and people running around just totally confused about this and that. And Let me tell you something. What you need to do is quit listening to anybody who stands up there and preaches for 45 minutes and you don't hear any Bible. That's a politician. A politician will tell you everything you want to hear, but he has nothing to back it up with. A true preacher will preach to you the Word of God because he knows that's what's correct. I am fallible. I am fallible as a man. But as long as I stay in the Word of God, that keeps me out of trouble. But for preachers to preach all of this stuff, and never they'll never give you a Bible for it. But that woman, she grabbed my hand, and she said, I had to get out of that church before I lost my soul. I knew I couldn't stay there and keep the victory. I know we're at the top of the hour, Doug. Yes, that's, uh, Pastor, thank you. Pastor David Langford, the voiceofevangelism.com, the voiceofevangelism.com, Stephen Quayle. 
stevequail.com. We're going to be right back. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. Our, our two very special guests, Pastor David Langford from thevoiceofevangelism.com. Uh, please visit his website, thevoiceofevangelism.com. Check out the, the, the information, the books, the DVDs that he's got there. In fact, right here to my right, uh, we've got two of his books, Revelation 13 Revealed and the, um, the Book of Jude. I, I've got to tell you, um, companions to the Bible, they are fantastic. And really, uh, Pastor Langford really makes it understandable for us to, for me anyway, to understand Revelation 13 in such a manner that it dispels many of the, um, how many of the theories out there, at least in my, to my point of view, and many of the commentaries that are not based in the biblical fact. And of course, Steve Quill from stevequill.com, his book right here, Xenogenesis, and of course, the Empire Beneath the Ice, which is becoming more and more relevant every single day. Um, there was an article about a month ago. Well, no, I'm sorry. It was on the 18th that came out of uh, Europe. Himmler's Library. Folks, you saw it on stevequail.com. And it was it came out again this past weekend about Himmler's Library. And uh, much of what Steve Quayle had t- has talked about the last two decades, especially about the Nazis, three decades, it's... Uh, it's all coming to pass. So, stevequail.com as well. Before we get back to our guests, I do want to mention one thing. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you so much in advance, folks, for praying for my good friend Randy and his wife Sue, both uh, uh, both extremely ill and yeah. uh, not doing not doing well at all. Sue's in the um, in Roswell Can- Cancer Center, and um, they're not giving either one much hope. Uh, it's amazing how both are are ill at the same time. Before we get back to the program itself, I want to just let everyone know that at Hear the Watchman Conference, it was a week ago yesterday, at 9 o'clock in the morning, Pastor Langford and his wife, Kim Langford, who just has got such a beautiful voice, leading the worship service on Sunday morning. There's a backstory to this that applies to the subject tonight, and I just want to share the experience with you tonight because this is what we are up against folks and I'll be as concise as as possible of course you know that the conference folks was that there were some um, shall I say some threats made to the conference and and they were done maliciously this is my personal belief maliciously and with the intent to disrupt as opposed to uh, not necessarily putting anyone in danger, but you never know. Okay, it's 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 always been my, it's always been my view that if something is going to is going to hurt you, they're not going to send you a telegram. To, you know, first uh, they're just going to do it. But having that said, uh, the Grapevine Police Department. I just want to say thank you to them for doing such a fantastic job in protecting the speakers and the attendant attendees. Now there was no while there's we don't believe there's any threat to the attendees. There's something that, folks, you should know. There was a call made 
um, to the Grapevine Police Department a telephone call and a direct threat to um, the, uh, the conveyance of, and I want to be very careful with my wording here, a conveyance of a threat during Pastor Langford's time during his um, sermon. And the time was very specific, and the session number was very specific. So whoever called, and we do know, we believe we know who called, uh, stated that there would be something that would happen during Pastor Langford's message of God. I mean, during the, the sermon, during the service of Sunday morning. But it was more specific than that. It was directed to a number of people as well. Pastor Langford, of course, was one of those named. This is my understanding now. Pastor Langford was named. Russ Dizdar was named. The conference organizer was named, and I was named. All right, for whatever reason, I, those those are the people that were named. And I, and here's how I found this out. And then then I'll give it back to uh, our guests. But I was at at nine fifteen Sunday morning, and I told you this before, folks. But I just want to reaffirm this because of the topic tonight. I had left the building. I had noticed earlier Sunday morning that the perimeter doors to the hotel were were locked. Uh, normally they were open, but they were locked. Okay, having said that, uh, 9.15 I had to get a piece of equipment from our vehicle. I walked out of the conference door side. This is kind of t- toward the back of the hotel, outside of the... Well, this is where the speakers would enter and exit, perhaps, or most likely, if they, if they were going outside for whatever reason. At 9.15, I walked out, walked down, I think, three or four stairs, and I did not even see. I was walking forward. I had was looking down at the steps, and the next thing I know, like a cartoon, I'm, walk, I'm, I'm not going forward anymore. I'm kind of, like, walking backwards without walking backwards you know I, I, I guess I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit but what I'm saying is this this grapevine police officer came out of nowhere grabbed me by the arm and said called me by my name and said you've got to get back inside and I thought I was I thought I did something wrong by going out that door and I said I you know I'm sorry I'll go out a different door if you want and he said no you don't understand you got to get back inside there was a threat that was called in. We don't believe it's anything, you know, we don't believe that there's any um, immediate danger, but you were, you were one of the people that was targeted, and it was very specific. And Pastor Langford was, tar- was targeted. And we, we, we talked for a moment. He didn't tell me much at that time, but his, his demeanor was very serious. And that morning, I had people come to me and say, you know, there were a lot of police officers circling the building and the sheriff's department, and... Um, uh, there's a lot of protection, perimeter protection that morning. Well, I said all of that to say this, because I'm nothing special, and, and uh, that's for sure. But the wiles of the satanic, I believe, this was done in an effort to stop the message of God from getting out. To stop Pastor Langford's message from getting out. This was done in malicious maliciously to stop Pastor Langford's um, sermon, the message. And I, I just I, I want you, everyone to think about that for a moment because even somebody will say giving the most benefit biggest benefit of the doubt, who would be the author or who would be behind 
that kind of, a, of an act. Now, thankfully, there was there nothing happened, and afterwards, in speaking with the Grapevine Police Department, my call to the uh, deputy um, public inf- uh, 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 public information officer, thanking them for their their efforts, I was able to get some additional information. Now, undoubtedly, people are going to say, "Well, I want, I want, I want police reports. I want this. I want that to prove this." Well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. I certainly didn't ask for a police report. It, it, you know, but the bottom line is this: my takeaway from is is from this. That to me means that we are making a difference. Absolutely. And Pastor Langford and. Steve Quayle, they're making a difference, and there will be. See, we're fighters, we're scrappers, and and we need to be scrappers for for Jesus. You're right, and a lot of uh, opposition came up against uh, this conference, against the people who were a part of the conference, who yeah. put together the conference, against a lot of the attendees, um, as is most with most spiritual gatherings, where that will yield fruit. Uh, all involved will encounter the opposition of the enemy because the enemy wants to do everything in their power to make sure it does not succeed. Yes, and, and by the way, I just want to, again thank you to the Grapevine Police Department. It is my understanding, based on the information of that conversation, 48% or, or just about half of the Grapevine Police Department were on on the premises or circling the premises or in the area to 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 um, to maintain our safety. And I just want to publicly thank the Grapevine Police Department for, for their professionalism and for everything they did. Uh, Steve, I'll turn it back to you, sir. It's interesting, Doug, because the timing of it, it was basically the devil's doing. Obviously, uh, the person who did it knew exactly what they were doing and when they were doing. And ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you this, sour grapes do not produce good wine. Now, I'm not going to argue whether wine is right or wrong, but sour grapes do not produce good wine. And the fact that this would take place, I love David's attitude. Nothing's going to stop him now because when when you're going forth in the anointing and also with the specific instructions to do, I think, Doug, it's an amazing story from just not only the remarkable presence of, of the Grapevine Police Force, and, and for the record, ladies and gentlemen, there was a felon arrested there who wouldn't give up his backpack that proved to be empty, but the uh, Grapevine guys were within reach of him at any time and I think it's important for people to recognize something when you're talking about Jesus when we're talking about giving your heart to Jesus we're talking about repenting we're talking about giving God the glory to his name when we're praising his magnificence and immediately uh, the devil's uh, uh, diatribe begins to take place on blogs and everything and for someone to go to a blog or uh, uh, whatever the chronicles of hell and want to get others opinions you are in the realm where you're at enmity with God that's not to shame anybody but listen friendship with the world's enmity with God. The only reason that people do that is because they will not surrender or repent of the living God. Jesus said it would be better for you never to have been born or to have a millstone cast uh, around your neck and you'd thrown into the sea than to cause the little ones to stumble. I want to read something, Doug, and I'll turn it over to David. It's uh, another poem by Randy Conway.
boy that he sent me, and it's the love of God. I think that faith works, the scripture is very clear that faith works by love, and God's intervention to protect the speakers by love. And by the way, Russ is no is no uh, stranger to all the threats, and you were involved with him on a couple things, and it's really, really significant that as we go forth, the uh, powers of darkness will only exert themselves more. When Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, that literally means follow after. So even after a conference with the power of God, the anointing, the hundreds of people at the altar, uh, the, the, the hundreds of people getting baptized, and, and people complaining about that, I say this, if anybody is speaking out against that, they are enemies of God by the scripture, and I'm sorry if that offends anybody. The love of God, the love of God, I think, began before he created this world or man, going back through eternity past beyond that which our minds can even grasp. Was it in quiet gentleness he created this magnificence? When the water split asunder, did his voice sound as thunder? This I know of God above, that in creation he gave us love, and the love of God had for sinful man grew and swelled into a plan that was revealed at Bethlehem. God became himself part of the human race in an awesome expression of his grace, and God's love grew to such degree from nativity to Calvary, where he displayed his love for all to see when Jesus died upon a tree because he loved us, you and me. Such love as this goes beyond our human understanding, that he could love with no demanding of anything in return to him except ourselves and all our sin. Willingly, love was crucified, more amazing than the fact he died is that he died for me. Love didn't stay upon that tree. He's alive again for all eternity. And that's exactly what he offers me. Eternal life and resurrection, justified without reservation. Grace poured out without hesitation, making me a new creation. The choice is mine. He paid the price. I must choose between death and life. Such amazing grace I don't understand or why he holds me in his hands. But the most amazing amazing thing I see is not nativity or Calvary. The most amazing thing I see about this love measured by eternity is the fact it included me, Randy Conway. Wow. The love of God is fighting with men to allow them to come in. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so what went on that Pastor Langford and David said to me, and I'm turning right over to you, David, is that, Steve, it's like the old days. The old days are coming back, but God is about to start a fire through the land, and it will be by the mightiness of his hand, and it's going to go where no other outpouring has ever been. It's going to touch those who are deep in sin, and God is going to be the one that's glorified within that movement. But I, Doug, I don't know if I think I told you this, and David, I didn't have a chance to tell you this, but the Lord said, I am about to pour forth my fire on the earth and watch what I bring and cause to come to birth. It's going to be in the midst of worst of times that we see the most amazing display of God's power. So, Pastor Langford, I will turn it over to you. You know, I, I, I didn't know that there was even a thread on me, which, it doesn't bother me. Uh, I've been in knife fights, gun fights, when I was a sinner, 
uh, only God knows the number of car wrecks. And I walked away from every one of them as a sinner. A backslidden God called preacher. I walked away from every one of those things. If God will do that for me as a sinner, what will he do for me as redeemed and living in obedience to his word? You know, the same thing happened to the early apostles in Acts chapter 5. And Gamaliel told them, he said, Brethren, refrain from these men. Let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And here's what I love about this, what, what, what it says here in Acts 5. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they still beat them. In other words, they weren't going to let them leave without a beating. And beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. All these people are doing to me is making me more determined than ever to be so loyal, so pure, so devoted, so consecrated, so dedicated to my Lord and Savior, it begs description. Remember Acts 20, 22, and I've quoted it probably nearly every time I've done a program with you, Joe and Doug. Paul said, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bond and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the grace, the gospel of God. Now, I know in my spirit, I, I have a little bit of discernment about things. God Almighty is creating a movement outside of the ecumenical denominational structure. Amen. See, the, 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 the structure has become so vile and so corrupt. That's why I just did this three-hour DVD series on denominational chaos. God is done with the denominational churches. They started out on the right track. But they got off track. And and now they're they're just hirelings, they're pulpiteers, they're showmen, whatever you want to call them, they're charlatans. They don't care about people's souls. They don't care about people being redeemed. I had a gentleman down there who walked up to me, he was in his probably, I don't know, mid to late twenties, beard down halfway down his chest. God bless his heart. He was tatted all the way down to his wrist. And when he walked up to me, he just stood there and he wept. He said, forgive me. He stood there and I had to wait. And I don't, I, 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 I shouldn't even say it. I had to wait. He was just so humbled and so blessed to be standing there to be able to talk to me. 
And what I saw was a movement beginning. We baptized. Joe, you saw those young kids there. Some of them were 19, 20 years old, weren't they? Oh, there was a lot of young kids. I met a 26-year-old man named Thomas who came from Holland. Uh, another, He met a 24-year-old uh, guy who uh, I can't remember where he was from. But, yes, I mean, we spoke with a, a gentleman named Joseph. He was in college. He was in his early, very early 20s. Uh, yeah. Asking us advice on how to, how best to to get the information out via starting his own website. Yeah, and, and the reason I said that was when I was in the baptistry, well, I should say swimming pool, I call it the baptistry because that's what we turned it into. And by the way, John Robertson, when John Robertson walked into the swimming area, he said he never felt anything like that in all of his life. The presence of God was so powerful. He'd never felt anything in his life like that. And I asked, I remember asking one kid, one little, one little guy in the pool, I said, how old are you? He said, 19. God is starting to move among the young people because they're, they're looking at the world and they're looking at the politicians, the liars, the crooks, the Nancy Pelosi's, all of them, and they're already disgusted with it. They're looking at the church and the church is so compromised and, and they want something that's real. And once you get in the presence of God, and there was a tremendous atmosphere of worship Sunday morning, and God forbid, don't nobody misunderstand me, I would never dare try to share anything of God's glory or anything of that nature, or my wife leading the music and worship, but the place was saturated with the Holy Ghost. Mike Kerr told me he counted only 25 empty seats was all. They were there ready waiting to receive something from God. The other brethren and speakers had built this thing up, and of course they may not realize it, but it puts untold pressure on me because I'm fearful that, God, if you don't really cap it off with a move of God, then we leave here disappointed. And I, I feel pressure that, God, you have, to, you have to show up, you have to manifest yourself because this is the last day, this is, this is the zenith, this is the pinnacle. And they may never think about it like that, but I've, I've, I've told uh, Mike and whoever else, I'll start it off on Fridays. I don't have to have Sunday morning. I'm not jockeying for a position. But but I sense the pressure because I'm begging, pleading with God in my military room. I, I lost eight pounds while I was down there. That's how little I ate. I ate just enough to sustain me while I was there. I left and I went down our way 206. I came home, I weighed 198 pounds. Because I want to be as sensitive as I can to the Holy Ghost. You know, I, I kept myself hydrated, but other than that, uh, we ate one meal, and the rest of the time I ate uh, a couple bananas and a half of a turkey wrap. Well, why did you do that? I want my body to be in subjection, that I can be sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. Whatever God wants to do, I don't know. I just know that God is sovereign, and I want to go with the flow of the Spirit. We don't we don't go with predetermined things. I I didn't even hardly preach my outline. I think I, I preached the first point, and that was it, because the Holy Ghost just began to take me another way, and I said, hey, forget the notes. Just go with the flow of the Holy Ghost. Didn't know how I would even make the altar call. Uh, Patrick and Evelyn Cusack came. He brought his shofar, he, and I said, brother, I'll watch you, and you watch me, and I'll tell you when to blow it. Hey. I couldn't have asked him to blow that shofar at a more appropriate time than he did in the altar service because I was contemplating, well, maybe in the altar call, maybe during communion, but there was a crescendo of worship while we were in the altar. People were crying out. 
people were pleading with God. People were weeping. And he began to blow that shofar. And I mean, it was, it was, it was a crescendo. And, and, and God is showing me he is getting ready to create an old-fashioned revival and movement. And, and, and here's what people need to understand. If you don't get right with God and get your heart pure and your hands clean, you're not going to be a partaker of this. You're not going to be a partaker of this. He will not allow you to be a partaker of this because this is a holy thing. That's why it's called the Holy Ghost. The Holy, the Spirit of God is holy. And they stand around the throne of God, the cherubim, Revelation 4 and 8, they cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. God is going to move. He said the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. He's getting ready to move. Now, in the midst of the movement, there is going to be chaos. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. I believe the, 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 the Obama is so, so much anti-Christ. I don't believe he's the anti-Christ, but he is so much anti-Christ. He's come in as a man of peace. We're getting out of Iraq. We're getting out of Iran. Uh, I mean, uh, Afghanistan. He's internalized everything inside of America. He's brought in the Muslims. He's put, got them in every government office in this nation. Now, one or two things is going to happen. They're either going to create a false flag this fall, or they're going to wait until he leaves the office, and then you will begin to witness untold terror events in America on our soil and possibly leading us into a third world war. That's what I see. All of his energies, all of his efforts, all of his time has been put to destroy the internal part of this nation and then once he leaves if he does not create an event before he leaves after he leaves you will begin to see the terrorist creating terror in this land but God's going to counter that with a move of God you're not going to outdo God in any way shape form or fashion God is going to move and everything as Stephen and I said this morning Everything is always about God's timing. We, we don't understand uh, uh, God sometimes because we're looking at it in the wrong perspective. Psalms 31, 15, David said, My times are in your hand. If it's a good time, a bad time, a rejoicing time, a weakened time, a, uh, a time of having money, a time of being broke, all of our time is in God's hand. And so God has given us eight years, nearly, of judgment of this man who seems to be a man that says, oh, I, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to bring all the troops home. We're getting out of all of this. But he, he, he refocused his, his priorities, his energies internally. And there's a reason for that, so that when he leaves or if he creates a false flag, everything is in place to create the chaos because he's a Muslim. I mean, anybody that doesn't believe that, and people out there that claim they're Christians and agree with him when he says he's a Christian, you're deceived. You're badly, you're greatly deceived. Because Jesus said Satan's greatest tool in the last day would be deception. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not, but not in John's, the first words that Jesus said when he, when he came out of the, 
the, the temple, and he sat down at the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Lord, tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? He said, Take heed that no man deceive you. Paul said in Second Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no man deceive you by any means. Many deceivers are going out into the world, John said. This is all about deception. And the church is, is so immune and so anemic to the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. That's what makes us pristine. That's what makes us keen. That's what makes us sober. That's what makes us alert is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. And that's what's missing in these churches. And so something is coming down the pipe. Somebody said, well, we missed judgment in 2015. Well, this was a leap year for America. And actually, if you go by the Jewish calendar, Passover is not till the 23rd of April. So this obviously, some of you have heard me teach that, the leap month in the Jewish calendar every 2.7 years, they add a leap month called V-Adar. It falls between Adar, which is the last month of the Jewish calendar, and Nisan, the first month. So we celebrated resurrection yesterday, but the true Passover is not till April the 23rd. So is this the 2.7-year cycle where God has added 30 days and said, you think you missed the judgment in, in September of 2015? No. It was a leap year. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I can't prove that. I just know what I know with scriptures and biblical numerology. But I'm telling you, there's something very different about this year and the election. It, it, it's, it's like it's not real. It's all a, a, a school game, a joke, it's a chicanery, it's trickery, it's uh it's a it's the personification of a subterfuge. Something is just not right. I can't put my finger on it, but if you have any discernment, you know that something is absolutely not right. There's a profuse indifference in this president. I mean people are getting killed left and right overseas through Islam. But there seems to be such a, a an indifference in this man's mind. Why? Because I believe he's internalized everything on America. It's like I said preaching down there Sunday morning in Dallas. Why was Obama Health Care put under the IRS versus Food and Drug Administration? They're going to control our money. If you've got a 401K, you have a home, a car, a title, a checking account, savings account, they're going to get their money. It doesn't make any sense to put it under the auspices of the IRS. See, this is the war that Steve's talking about. We're fighting. Everything is being fought. And when you look at it in the natural, well, this don't make sense. Why was it under the Food and Drug Administration? It's, it's, it's about medicine and, 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 and health care. See, this is the duplicity. This is the deception. And if you're not warring and staying in, on your knees before God, you miss all of this stuff. Because, see, the devil, he's he's the master at sleight of hand. He will fool you. He will trick you. He will deceive you. He will pull the wool over your eye so quick you're thinking, man, what just happened there? That's what's happened to the church. The, The denominational churches have no clue of the reality of what's going on. And, and we are in a battle that is unparalleled to anything since the Noadic days, since the days of Lot. And 
the great thing is when God began to stir my spirit about three months ago, laying in the bed, you know, when God begins to grind on my mind a particular verse of Scripture, I know He's trying to share something. He's trying to tell me something. And in Acts 2.17, you've all heard the Scripture, It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. But here's what he says in verse 18. And on my servants, and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And what God began to show me was, we, Joe, Steve, Doug, myself, we are servants of the Lord. And I didn't know it at the time. My wife had been privately praying, God, make me a handmaiden of the Lord. And I, and I began to share this with her. That I said, there's going to be a special anointing poured out on the servants of God to do this work. And those of you out there who think you can fight us and win, you're absolutely a fool to fight God. You're not fighting me. When he said in Psalms 105.15, saying, Touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm, you got to fondle and play with the Holy Ghost before you ever get to me. Psalm 16, verse 8, David said, I have set the Lord always before me. He's on my right hand, and I shall not be moved. Before you get to David Lankford's right hand, you got to get through God. Before you can touch God's anointed, you got to get through the Holy Ghost. The anointing is the Holy Ghost, folks. That is the anointing, Acts 10.38, how God anointed the Lord Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. You have to get through that anointing, which is the Holy Ghost. You can't get through the Holy Ghost, sir. You can't get through the Holy Ghost, ma'am. God will kill you before he'll let you get through it. You think you don't think God will cut you off? Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost. He killed both of them. But Peter said, you ain't lied to me. You lied to the Holy Ghost. You see, that's where the loss and reverence and fear of God no longer exists. Some of the things that people have done, I, there's no way as a Christian I could dare do these things. I, I just I have too much fear of God. I, I could just not do some of this stuff. I, I fear God. To, I, I'd be afraid God would give me a cerebral hemorrhage, a, a, a stroke. I mean, I could be paralyzed tomorrow. Uh, I could be a quadriplegic. I fear God. You know, uh, I, I just I have such a reverence and an awe of God. My, if Steve started it off, Acts seventeen twenty eight. In Him we live and move and have our being. Don't you get that? Don't you get that verse? In Him, not in your own self. In Him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our mere being and existence. And without Him, you're nothing. And to think as a mortal man can tamper with God? Look at look at the psalmist David. It's believed he was 12 or 14 years old when he confronted Goliath. He said, you come to me with the spear and with the sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Who won the battle, folks? God. As a matter of fact, David really only knocked Goliath out with that stone. But while he was knocked out, he went and got Goliath's sword and beheaded him and brought that head back to Israel. And the rest of the giants fled 
because they saw the great power and the anointing of God. Saul told David, put on my armor. See, that's man's way. David said, I, I've never proved this armor. It was too big anyway. But he went out there with nothing in his hand but God, a sling, and a stone. And that's all you need when God's there with you, folks. It ain't what you got. It's whose you are. You can have everything in the world and think you can win unless you have God except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. I'm telling you, and God, I sense it in my spirit. He is building something right now to touch people's hearts and lives. You know, we're going to have a conference in, in Knoxville uh, September 30th, October 1st or 2nd, and Steve's going to be there at that conference. We're gathering momentum. See, God is behind this. The Holy Ghost has put wind in the sails. And you're not going to stop God. And, and that's why my goal is to fight the good fight of faith and keep my heart pure. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. If you're not pure, then you are like a kink in a water hose. The water just won't come out till you go backwards and find where the kink in the hose is. You can hold that nozzle wide open all you want to, but there ain't no water going to come out. you got to back up, go find the kink, and get the kink out, and guess what? Now here comes the water. Well, if you get a spiritual kink in your life, the Holy Ghost ain't going to flow through you. And these little kinks are sins. They're little things. As Steve said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's the little things that hinder us. You know, I mean, I, I, I know. You know, I've been on both sides of the fence. Steve and I both have been on both sides of the fence. We've lived some pretty raunchy, randy lives uh, in time past. But to whom has been forgiven much, loves much. That's why I love God like I love Him, because I know I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not worthy of anything. And, and if I did die in Dallas, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So what difference does it make? Paul said he didn't count his life dear unto himself. The scripture Steve shared with me last night, I believe it was, or this morning, uh, Revelation twelve eleven, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and they loved not their lives unto the death. I don't love my life to the degree I'm afraid to die. I love the Lord with everything that's within me. And so if death comes early, so be it. I'm just going to go home early. And so we got to quit being cowards in the Lord. we got to stand up and wield the sword of the Lord, and let's do battle. We're in the shape we're in in America, not because of so much of our politicians and leaders. It's our spiritual condition. Our spiritual condition. Steve has said it time and time again. You cannot solve a spiritual problem with a political solution. It just won't work. If the if America would turn back to God, I don't care who's in the White House, God can still have sovereignty in the nation and, and save us from these pagans and heathens and idolaters. You know, uh, he could put the most simpleton in the White House. But the Bible is clear in Proverbs 29, 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And I look at Belgium. I look at Europe. The great cathedrals, they're shut down. They're empty. Nobody's going there. Why? They forgot God. You can't forget God. And this nation is forgetting God. But then, I'm going to give it back to you, Steve. But somebody sent me an email two weeks ago. The state of Kentucky has passed legislation 
to put a biblical curriculum back in high school. See, if we keep praying and we keep fighting, we got to fight. We're going to see something happen. I see it already in my spirit. I see it. It is not manifest yet, but it's going to be manifest, and the world is going to see it. And when the church rises up, it's like uh, uh, Rahab the harlot. She said, we have heard of your God, and we are fearful for our lives. We know that your God can do anything. And thus she committed her life to the message of Joshua and Caleb, and her was the only family that was saved. And God brought her into the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And she was a Gentile whore. And God brought her in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's for me and for you who are Gentiles. Because if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. I don't care what ethnicity you are, you're a Gentile if you're not a Jew. But God wove that in there to show, I'm bringing you in, I'm bringing you in, I'm bringing you in. And praise God, I am so glad I'm in, and you can be in too. But it's going to be a fight. But as Paul said, it's a good fight. Stephen, we'll give it back to you, sir. Well, thank you, David. You know, one of the things, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm praying daily for and praying almost all the time, when I pray, I pray for this, that God will show me the earth and the events taking place from his perspective. David said that God gives him nuggets. A nugget is when something enters into your heart and your mind, comes out your mouth that you have never thought, you have never entertained, nor have any of the uh, undergirding, if you will, issues, even have you ever pondered them? I've been praying about Proverbs six twelve through 19. And the other day, just out of the blue, I was I was listening to a tape or a CD or DVD in my car, and the Lord said to me, he said, Steve, do you know why I hate slander and gossip? And I said, well, yeah, because it causes division. And he said, that's on earth, in heaven. He said, how did Lucifer, before he became Satan, how did he beguile, how did Lucifer beguile the angels that hadn't fallen to that point. And David, Joe and Doug, I had never pondered that thought in my entire life. I had always uh, thought of discord amongst the brethren being one of the seven abominations that God hates. Uh, and, and the Lord spoke to me and he said, Lucifer bore false witness against me and slandered me to the angels and made them promises that they also would be like me. In essence, they wanted what and who God was, and Jesus addresses that issue when the scripture says that he thought not uh, uh, be equal to God, be a, be a thing. What is that scripture, David? I'm sorry. Yeah, he uh, thought him not uh, robbery to be equal with God, Philippians 2. Right, but that was the purpose of the slander, the bearing false witness. So, so for a minute, man, I'll tell you what, this gives me goosebumps. God gave me uh, a nugget, as you would call it, Pastor Langford, of why he hates slandering, lying tongues, and causing discord. Because remember, the fallen angels, before they fell, a third of the angels, they were brethren also. They weren't the son of man, they weren't the descendants of Adam, but the discord, the 
lies and the slander. And as above, so below. Now, that's a New Age term. But basically, in the Bible, there's nothing that happens on earth that isn't taking place in the heavens. You referred to it, Ephesians 6. Proverbs 6, 12, 19 says this, A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a, walketh with a forward mouth. He winks with his eyes. He speaks with his feet. He, uh, he teaches with his fingers. Forwardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift, running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord amongst the brethren. Like lightning in my spirit. It wasn't a cognitive thought. It wasn't, well, let me see if I can understand that. Instantly, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God, in God's mercy, in, in showing me his perspective, had brought it all into place. And so nothing in Proverbs six twelve through 19, we can see it as applying to an earthly man, and that's what it's talking about in the brethren. But before that, have you ever heard that thought before in your life? Steve, that's one of the most profound revelations I've ever heard a man get from God because, you know, like Jesus said, if you can't believe earthly things, how can I tell you heavenly things? Right. And, and so, and, and, and so that, with me, that was so far off the charts that Satan slandered Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that's what beguiled those angels to fall with him. That, that is as great a nugget as I've ever heard of in my life. Go ahead. And it blew my mind because, again, ladies and gentlemen, when when Pastor Langford shares something or I share something, that's a nugget. And again, defined a nugget is something that has never into your, entered into your heart at any time. That God answers you from His perspective, shows you the validity of it in His Word. Nothing contrary to Scripture can ever come. Uh, nothing contrary to Scripture would come from God. It only comes from the devil. But now when we go, and I'm going to take everybody to this point, most Christians do not understand the basis of the temptation of Jesus when he was led into the wilderness. And oh boy, David, I'm telling you this, man, if I had rockets under my chair, I'd be in orbit right now. <laughs> uh, Praise God. Yeah, I would. Uh, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. By the way, there were 92 battles. Uh, thank you to the person that sent that to me. 92 battles in the Old Testament. 9 and 2 is 11. That's critical. I'm reading from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led up of the Holy Spirit in the wilderness be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Notice not some of them, or take it and leave it, but by every word. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, 
and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge uh, concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain, and show him showeth him all the kings of the world in the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give to thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him Jesus. I'm adding, obviously, the name of Jesus there, because that's what it's talking about. The greatest revelation that the church has never wanted to deal with resulting in the captivity of men and women who the Son of God died for to set, set them free is the fact that Jesus bought back all of the supernatural blessings that Adam would have had had he not sinned, reestablishing fellowship. I mean, I asked the Lord one time, I said, God, how could Adam not see this coming when he was walking with you every day, when you were meeting with him and talking with him, and he, Adam was so smart, and yes, he was created with the full understanding of language, or he couldn't have named all the animals and all the different insects and everything else he named, and God gave Adam, because he was created in God's image and likeness prior to the sin, instant access to the mind of God. But what kept Adam, I don't know that I really have an answer for this, Pastor, what kept Adam from recognizing the fact that having access to the manifold, infinite wisdom of God when asked for it, or when you know he appropriated by uh, believing or thinking on it, from not seeing. And guess what it is? It's the same thing that keeps the church from not seeing. It is the lies of a promise in the future rather than gratefulness in the present. Eve didn't realize that she had it all. Eve was promised a lie, not recognizing who it was that was walking with her husband in the garden in the cool of the morning. Whoa, that gives me shivers. And it's the same thing that the devil's uh, debauchery and deception and uh, all of the, the tricks, traps, and snares are designed is to keep us from recognizing who it is that is has died for us, that is giving us power. And I'll end on this and then turn it over to you, David, but I think we're a few minutes away. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us capable, the word meat means capable, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You want to call it superposition in quantum physics, or you want to call it a simple biblical term? He has seated us in heavenly places through the blood and through repentance and faith in the name of Jesus. Go ahead, David. You know, I want to reinforce your revelation uh, that God gave you about how Satan slandered, or Lucifer slandered Jesus in front of the angels. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, It is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man 
the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. What we fail to understand as we study and apply the Word, there are deeper things in the Word than just the paper and ink. The Spirit has to reveal those things to you. You know, and and when we get these nuggets that like like Steve says, it's like it's like rocket booster setting underneath you. It's like wow. It's like one when, when I got the revelation there in Matthew four where Steve read, why did the devil take Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple? What was significant there? I've only found one other man that agreed with me on that, and that was E. W. Bullinger. He took him to where the Ark of the Covenant was right over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. So had Jesus jumped off of the temple at the Ark of the Covenant, he would have created an abomination of desolation. See, there's a reason Satan creates things and does things he knows that will hurt God and grieve the Holy Ghost. That's why he beguiled Eve and the fruit. You're going to be like God. And here's what the Lord showed me about that, if you've never heard me share this. Women want affirmation. How does my hair look? How does my dress look? You like these shoes? Well, guys, we don't do that. If you like it, fine. If you don't, fine. It doesn't bother me. But when Satan beguiled her, not only did she not get what she was promised, she lost everything she had. So that's why the nature of a woman is always asking her husband or her girlfriend, do you like this dress? Do you like this blouse? Do you like these shoes? Do you like this pocketbook? How does it look? How does my hair look? You know, I've never asked a man, how's my hair looked in all of my life? But see, that void that he created in her, she not only, as I said, did not get what he promised her, but she lost everything she had. That's why that nature is like that in a woman, because of what Satan did in beguiling her. So that's why he said to Eve, now your desire will be to your husband, and he will rule over you. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were totally equal. They were totally equal in every capacity. But because she was deceived, God said, I'm changing the game rules. Now your husband will rule over you, and your desire will be unto him. Now I know a lot of women don't like that, because Isaiah 3.12 says children will oppress, and women will rule. But that's because of the fall. The covering of a woman is her husband. He is her covering. Man's covering is God, or Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ's covering is the Father. And, and, and so God has this protocol, but it is Satan who always beguiles and deceives and tricks people, and they never get what he promised them. That's, that's the, the problem. They never get what they promised. Doug, we're going to give it back to you, brother. I know we're at the top of the hour. Perfect timing, Pastor Langford. We are at the top of the hour. Folks, you're listening to this Monday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report with Pastor David Langford, voiceofevangelism.com, and Steve Quill from stevequill.com. Stay tuned for our third and final hour right after these short messages. This is a great program. This is the Global Star Radio Network.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our third and final hour of this Monday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're blessed to be joined by Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Pastor David Langford, the voice of Evan- voiceofevangelism.com. And uh, it's been a fantastic show. You know, we see the apostasy in the world today. We see it especially in the in the church. Uh, the the uh, non-believers are getting worse, but it's it's definitely more concerning to see the church, you know, and I won't know how to say this properly, out-sinning the secular world. Um, but we're at a time of, of great change and, and challenge, and these men tonight are here talking be, be, about... Before, before we turn it back to the, to the uh, fine gentleman, uh, our guest, I just want to wish my son publicly a happy birthday. He is 33 today. Uh, yep. And um, I adopted him when he was 16, okay? <laughs> because I, I cannot, you know... Uh, well, then you got the raw end of the deal there. Well, that's <laughs> true, but uh, no, I just want to wish you a happy birthday and thank you. And and what a great day! How blessed are we to have these two fine men on our program? Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, during the break, we were talking about the uh, the conference and some of the fellowship aspect of it and how fruitful it was. And um, you know, this is our our hope here in these latter days uh, with the apostasy that I mentioned is. A uh, revival, both personally uh, and you know locally to nationally, uh, as as big as possible uh, to the biggest extent possible. And so, with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Langford, and you can get us started in this third hour. Oh, okay, I'm going to give it to Steve, but I do want to make mention there is the possibility of another conference before the one in Knoxville. We're not sure about the logistics, everything being nailed down yet, but there's a possibility of another conference prior to the Knoxville conference, so I would like for people to be praying about that, and of course my best buddy and friend Steve will be there at that one if we get it worked out as well, and also I want to remind the people of the DVDs, uh, there's I think 10 DVDs, and then we did interviews with Joe and Doug, each speaker did. That's also in the DVDs. And for a love gift of $100, I think it's $10 postage. It'd uh, be $110 and $35 postage if it goes overseas because they kill us all with our overseas mail expense. I know it kills us here at the Voice of Evangelism. But, folks, if you couldn't be there or couldn't watch the live video, uh, I'm telling you, you will be impressed spiritually, not I'm not talking about it being impressed in the natural. You'll be impressed by the Spirit and by the presence of God. There was a tremendous hunger for the Word and for worship, and that's what these meetings are about. And uh, do remember Jenny. She is sick. She's in the bed. And right now Mike's bearing the brunt of the load. And I know that's difficult, but I want to give these two fine people there are accolades and praise because to put all of this together the conference, the audio the video, all the stuff that goes coordinating all of this uh, had to pay licensing fee because we were videoing it and the music industry wants their little part of the pie liability insurance for the meeting gave them a hard time because the word revival was in there I mean the world fights anything that God is doing down to the fact coming to ensure the conference for the safety of the people and because they had the word worship, restoration, and revival 
they had a hard time getting that. So, you know, these events don't just happen. There's so much legwork that goes on behind the scenes, and I'll be the first to tell you, I wouldn't want to do it for nothing, and I know Steve wouldn't want to do it. I can't vouch for Joe and Doug, but there's so much work that goes behind the scenes in putting together a conference. When you're afforded the opportunity to just walk in there and sit down and be ministered to, you have no idea of the hours and hours and hours it takes to put all of this together for just a short parenthetical two- or three-day meeting. It takes scores and scores of hours to do all of this. So I I want you all to really pray for Mike and Jenny, especially her. She's sick. She's got something, I think, like Steve had, and uh, that ain't any good. I can tell you that right now. So do remember them both in prayer, and also remember this meeting that's a possibility that it could come up before the Knoxville meeting. So keep praying. God's doing something, and we want everyone to be blessed and to receive a blessing from the Lord Jesus Christ. Steve, I'm going to give it back to you, brother. Well, I want to, I want to again, take it back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ being able and having totally canceled Satan's claims on the human race especially and only those who will come to God on God's terms. You know, it's funny because I see people, Pastor Langford, always dictating to God their terms. And I, again, I said, listen, it's not the fact that God talks to you. Are you listening to what he's saying to you in the very first way God speaks? to any man, and the only way we have to uh, to test the Spirit is through the Word of God. And since you and I have first met on talk radio 25 years ago, the number one premier scripture is hiding the Word of God in our heart that we might not trespass against Him. Now, have I trespassed? Absolutely. But do I know where the cross stands in my trespasses? Yes. If I confess my sin, He's just and faithful to not only forgive me my sin, but to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to—I just want to finish out tonight, you know, and I'll give it to you in about five minutes, David, that the exchange that was made at the cross, Jesus took upon himself all the evil, the judgment due to us, that we might receive all the good due to him. In other words, everything that he possessed as the Son of the living God, he laid it aside that we might possess, having lost it all. He wants to give it back to us all. But the terms are are so lovely and so amazing. It's what he did for us, not what we do for him. Repentance from dead works is something else that Christians have got to repent from. Going to church sitting in a pew, you know that I don't like that name, I think it's too befitting what happens, a pew, when I think of something, a pew, I think of something that smells funny, okay I know that's not how it's spelled but that's what I think, Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, Jesus, and that the body of sin might be made ineffective, that henceforth we should not be the slaves of sin. The exchange here is between the old man and the new man. The old man denotes the nature in each of us received by inheritance from Adam, also called the body, the body of sin, the body of the sins of the flesh. Ephesians 2, 2-3, we are all by nature the children of wrath, because we are all the children of disobedience and rebellion. Galatians 2.15, the same phrase by nature indicates that Peter and Paul were Jews by natural birth. 
Ephesians 4, 20, 22, the old man is a corrupt tree and must be put off. Uh, Matthew 3.10, through the gospel, the axe is laid to the root of this tree. Matthew 7.18 and 19, a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit, and, and it cannot bring forth anything but execution. The old rebellious nature of ours was executed in Jesus Christ, and in its place a new man might now live in the believer. The new man is Christ in us. I am crucified with Christ, and he now lives in me. And all the old barriers have been broken down. So here's what Jesus did. He paid the price for our, my sinful acts, that I might be given his forgiveness, reconciliation. He bore our sickness and pains that we might receive his healing, our guilt and sin that we might be partakers of his righteousness, that he bore the curse that we might receive the blessing. He became poor for our sakes that we might be wealthy. And wealthy isn't what the, uh, you know, prima donnas on TV are talking about. It's having everything that pertains unto life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Jesus experienced death in three phases. We get to uh, experience life in three phases. The old man is executed, the new man is brought to life. If any man be in Christ Jesus, behold, all things have passed away, all things have become new. So after this show tonight, Pastor, people can start going to the Lord and thanking Him. I think the greatest revelation comes when people mix their understanding with thanksgiving. I'll give it back to you now, sir. You know, you was a reading from Isaiah 53 and verse 12 there says because he hath poured out his soul unto death he was numbered with the transgressors he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors what is so powerful about that is that Isaiah said he poured out his soul there was nothing left he was the personification of the sin offering the sin offering. I want to say that again. The sin offering. That's what he was. Uh, I'm going to quote you again, Steve. Second Corinthians 5.21 For he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As I said earlier, God did not create sin. Satan, Lucifer, created the sin, but the evil, the tree of good and of evil, God was showing them, if you live right and obey me, you will have nothing but good, 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 good. You disobey me, now you will have nothing but evil. And I won't get into it, but everything that God put on Adam there in the judgment when he adjudicated Adam and Eve, I'll just share the one thing. He said, by the sweat of your brow, you will now earn your living. How did he redeem that? By a crown of thorns pressed in his brow. Every, If you'll go back and read that, everything that he placed on Adam relative to quote-unquote evil because of the sin, Jesus countered that through his vicarious, efficacious work on the cross. See, he who knew no sin became sin. Now, as a man, I, I can't in my natural mind and in my spiritual mind, unless God were to give me the revelation like he did Steve about 
Satan slandering Jesus before the Father and the angels. Unless God gives you that type of revelation, you can't understand the context of that in its entirety. You may get a measure of it, but to get the significance, the whole picture, we see in part and we know in part. But what Jesus did, he paid a price that no one was ever possible able to pay. That's why when Jesus in Matthew 26 looked into the cup, his humanity prayed, Father, if at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Well, what was in that cup? My sins, your sins, Steve's sins, Joe's sins, Doug's sins, the sins of the whole world. And when he looked into that cup, the humanity part of Jesus said, is it possible for this to pass? Well, he knew it was not possible. Thus he prayed again and said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was the propitiation, which simply means he was what God demanded for our sins. Now, you get back to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, I cannot relate to that kind of love. We talk about the agape, the love of God. I'm a man. I have four children. I cannot see me as a man giving one of my children for, uh, okay, Barack Hussein Obama. If somebody said, we're going to kill him or kill one of your children. Well, you know what I'm going to say. You want me to help you kill him? That's the natural man. That's that's my natural tendency because I love my children. But God's love is so superior. He said, no, let him go and take my son and kill him. Now, that, that that's beyond my ability to grasp. But that's why Jesus willingly, he said, no man takes my life. I lay my life down. And when he paid sin's debt, he paid what God demanded for our sins. And what's amazing is that he paid the sin's debt for everyone. And Paul said he tasted death for every man so that man, as a Christian, does not have to taste the sting of death. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-five: O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is of the law. I believe, I believe this personally, when men die without God, it's like a goad goes into their spirit. There's such a stinging goad, I mean, a thousand times a wasp or hornet sting in their spirit because they died without God. But to the believer, Paul said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He understood what was going on. For he said, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is because of the law. All the law ever told a man was, you're guilty. I tell everybody who want to keep the Ten Commandments, to keep the Sabbath, Show me redemption in the Ten Commandments. Show me something in there that tells me I can be forgiven, I can be redeemed. You can't. 
You can't show me anything there. Uh, John 1, 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So Jesus has won the war for every one of us in our behalf. That's why we have to embrace Christ because he's already won the battle. He's already won the victory. First uh, John 3, 8, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Uh, Colossians 2, 14, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He triumphed over every power of Satan. Up till Jesus Christ, every man that had ever died stayed dead. There was no hope. Every man was held hostage. Every man was held captive by the spirit of death. That's why even in Revelation 20, the last enemy to be destroyed is going to be death. You'll find that First 1 Corinthians 15, 24. That's the last enemy to be destroyed is going to be death because people will even die during the millennium. But Paul, uh, in Ephesians 2, 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. That's us. We're partakers of flesh and blood, and blood. He also himself took part of the same flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death, through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, when they died, that was it. They were held captive by the power of death. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. That was the dual perspective. Half God, half man. Hebrews 2.11 But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So Paul in verse 16 says, he took he took on the, not on the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham for the purpose of dying. He had to die to pay sin's death. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, to be made like you and I, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Here's the key. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He had to die to reconcile us back to the Father. And then verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. That's what Steve read from Matthew 4. Being tempted, he is able to succor or to give aid assistance to them that are tempted. So he made peace between man and God by his death. But here's the great thing. I love what Paul said in Hebrews 9, 16, 17. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. 
In other words, uh, every one of you out there that has a will and a testament, a last will and testament, for that testament to come to fruition, you have to die. So Paul said, for where a testament or a will is, there must also be the necessity of the death of the testator. The man has to die for the will to come to fruition, man or woman. For a testament is of force. In other words, it goes into effect as soon as the person dies. It's called the executor of the estate. He goes to the courthouse. They, quote-unquote, deputize him. Now he has authority to exercise things in behalf of the decedent. See, it's called power of attorney, the executor, to execute this authority in behalf of the decedent. Until that happens, it says, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Because of the person being alive, that testament, that will is no good. Because they can change it the day before they die. But once they die, that testament is of force now. Well, guess what? Jesus gave us a new covenant. He gave us a new testament. He did away with all that old stuff. I know I'm going to make some mad here, but that's all right, because you don't understand your Bible. Had you understood your Bible, you'd understand what I'm saying totally. He died to destroy that Old Testament, to give us a New Testament. But here's the great thing. He rose again the third day to carry out his last will and testament. Isn't that powerful? When a man dies, he's dead, and he trusts the executor of the will or the estate to be to do transaction in his behalf. Jesus came back alive to make sure what he said, what he did, the price he paid, that it's going to be carried out just like I commanded it to be carried out. Here's the danger. If we don't follow out according to his will and testament, we're going to be held accountable for that. A dead man can't come back and do that. I know I, I, I have executed a will or two in my time, and I said something one time to an attorney. It might have been to the clerk of court. I said, what if I don't do what the will says? They said, well, we'll lock you up, put you in jail till you do it. And I said, are you serious? They said, oh, yeah. That's, that's why that's the power of that will. That executor is bound by the law to execute whatever the decedent has determined. So we as preachers and ministers of the gospel, we have a responsibility then to execute the will and testament of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. If I don't do it, he said, woe is me. So we are liable to God to carry out his last will and testament, which is the new covenant, the New Testament. And, of course, his death on the cross sealed that testament with his blood. Uh, Romans, uh, Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Without the shedding of his blood, there could be no atonement. Everything in the Old Testament tabernacle had to be sanctified by the blood. Everything had to be set apart, had to be atoned for. God demanded that. 
But now we live in the New Testament, the New Covenant, and we don't realize how great the blessings of God are in our lives. We, 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 we take for granted every day how good God has been to us. And, and, and yet in the end, that day will come when there will be no grace. There'll be judgment. There will be judgment. And that's why we do what we do because Paul said in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians five nine that uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things he hath done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Every one of us. Now listen, I'm not talking about sinners now. I'm talking about righteous, redeemed people. We're going to stand before what's called the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat of Christ. And we're going to be judged. We're going to be redeemed. We're going to be redeemed. And we're going to be in the kingdom. But we're also going to be judged for the things we have done in our body, whether it be good or bad, Paul said. And thus knowing the terror... The great and dreadful God, as Daniel called him. We're going to stand before God and going to give an account of ourselves. And so I want to encourage you to, to be more disciplined in reading your Bible, in praying, and being desirous to have a pure heart, to have clean hands, and to always seek to do the right thing. Every day we are confronted about doing right. There will be something that will come up. I don't care if it's at the grocery store or buying a used car or whatever the case might be. We're confronted with the opportunity to do right or do wrong. I want to encourage you because of the price that Jesus paid the cross. I want to encourage you to always seek to do that which is right because that's where the power of God is in doing the right thing. Steve, I won't give it back to you, sir. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've had, well, David's been uh, speaking. I've had a, an email come in to me, and there's a certain, and I've got to address this, you guys. There's a certain board, uh, the, the devil's mouthpiece, that's what I'll call it, that posted a story last night with a thousand replies saying that I was robbed and beaten and thugs pissed with me and I was in the hospital dying. I'm guessing this is a fake. Please let the audience know what is going on. We all thought you were dead. I swear, Steve, or is this a recording? The thread had 1,000 replies and everyone thought I was dead. Now, who do you think would put a story out there like that? And, you know, I would like to think that uh, it would be the bad guys that were laying in the hospital dying. And I'm serious about that. That which they planned for me, let them take it by snare. But again, this is the kind of stuff, Pastor Langford, Doug, and Joe, that is is an everyday occurrence, not just on the, you know, I, I, I dislike this thing so much, I won't even say the name of it. But ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Langford and I, and Doug and Joe, take your prayers very seriously. It is never a half-hearted thanksgiving from me or Pastor or Doug or Joe, and it's the 
prayer and intercession that goes into a meeting like that was held in Dallas. So I'm here to tell everyone, by the grace of God, I am alive until the Lord says I have finished that which he has called me to do. I wouldn't dare speak the things that the Lord had put in my heart to do. I've shared them with Pastor Langford because... You know, he and I know each other in the spirit. So, for the record, if you hear any of that crazy stuff, and you're on that... By the way, I believe anybody that's on the blasphemy board, that's what I call it, because they liken themselves unto God. I, if you are a Christian, and I'm saying this, shame on you. Shame on you to be on a board that blasphemes the name of the living God. I want to close, you know, out with John 14, Pastor, because I believe this is where we're at. There's a lot of people with troubled hearts. There's a lot of people that consider themselves God-conscious but don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Starting John 14, the first verse. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We talked about Acts 17, 28. In him we live and move and have our being. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we not know whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but me truth is not a concept truth is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ if you guys want to know uh, the most amazing revelation of Jesus go to Proverbs chapter 8 and substitute the name of Jesus for I wisdom because in 1 Corinthians we're told that Jesus has made the wisdom of God Jesus going on in verse 7 if he had known me you should have known my father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long a time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And ladies and gentlemen, we identify with Jesus Christ when we proclaim his word to others. They're not our words. I didn't write Genesis. I didn't write the book of Revelation. But God gives us the blessing of being the vessel and the vehicle to speak the words that Jesus was allowed to speak because he only spoke those things which he heard the Father speak. Believe me that I am in the Father, verse 11, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he might abide in you forever. That is the Holy Spirit. 
even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At the day ye shall know that I, at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. You talk about again superposition. It can't you can't get a better position than that. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and will he will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me... Uh, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken to you, uh, unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever I have stated and said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I want to just add in there, the world cannot give you peace that only God can give you. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it comes to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the princes of this world cometh, and has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father as the Father gave me commandment. Even so, I do. Arise, let us go hence. Probably one of the most beautiful and the most amazing revelations in the entire New Testament. You know, if you want to present the Jesus of history and God's Savior, His Messiah, John 10 and John 14. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, as I said just a minute ago, King David prayed that God would hide his word in his heart. The word of God would be hidden in King David's heart so that he would not trespass against God. The only thing that continues to refresh our uh, conscious and subconscious, the only thing that can take away the consciousness of sin isn't the blood of bull and goats, isn't legalism, it's the blood of the Lamb. Go ahead, Pastor. You know what is so powerful there, Steve, there in verse 30, where you just shared that? For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. There was no sin or sin nature in Jesus for Satan to appeal to. That's why every temptation in Matthew 4 was appealing to his flesh. And so it is with every believer. Satan never makes any kind of an appeal for your for your spirit. It's always for your flesh. I want people to get that. You alluded to it earlier tonight in 1 John 2, 15, 16. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it is of the world. Those three gates deal with our fleshly nature. And so when Satan makes his appeal, it's never to your spirit. It's always to your flesh. 
that's why the battle can be so great sometimes. You feel like, man, I just can't make it. The reason being, you're living your life in the flesh. You're not praying. You're not reading your Bible. You're not fasting. Things go wrong. Bad words come out of your mouth. Things go wrong. You become destructive. Things go wrong. You'll tell a lie not think twice about it. Why? Because Satan is appealing strictly to your flesh. Because that's let, let me say it like this. Satan appeals to your flesh, but your spirit has to give the consent. Your spirit is what says, yep, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Why? Because in your conscience, when you're, when you're brought to that place, let's say a question. Did you break that or not? Before you answer it, you first have a thought process. That's your spirit, man. Now, if your flesh is dominating your spirit, you're going to tell a lie. No, I didn't do it. But if you're walking in the spirit, your spirit is going to be honest and say, yes, I did that. And so that's why in Galatians 5, 16, 17, Paul said this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh Lust of against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So Satan attacks the flesh. Now you will respond according to the measure of your spirit. If your spirit is strong, you'll say, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that. If your spirit is weak, you will go there you will say that, you will do that, and guess what you did? You just lost the battle. You just lost the battle. I've often said, when temptation comes, you don't have long to make a decision. No, no uh, carpenter rule, measure twice, and cut once. No, no spiritual rule should be, think about this twice before you even do anything, because if you're not careful, you will react versus responding. A response is something that's thought about. I've said this, and I'll say it again tonight. Had some people in the last while prayed about things they were doing, they would have never done them. There's things I have wanted to do as a man. I'm not going to lie about it. I've, I've wanted to do some things. I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts it was not right. But I wanted to do it. But my flesh said, yep, that's the right thing to do. But my spirit said, well, why don't you just first pray about it? Just pray about it. Guess what? When I get on my knees to pray, the Spirit of God changes my mind, and I don't do what I intended to do. Or my plot, sinister, evil plot, is changed. It's thwarted because the Holy Spirit says, you can't do that and be right with God. And folks, prayer is not the great restrainer, but it is one of the greatest restrainers. The great restrainer is the Holy Ghost in your life. But by the, the, the very fact that you try to pray and ask for God's guidance, ask for God's direction, why do you think he said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding? 
but in all of thy ways acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct your steps. If you will first get down and pray and say, God, help me, I promise you your outcome will be totally different than what it would have been. But when you don't pray and you don't get advice or counsel from God through his word or through the Holy Spirit, you'll make more mistakes and create more tragedy, create more havoc in your life than you could possibly straighten out. That's why it's such a warfare. Satan knows if you go to prayer, he's lost the battle already. Because he knows God's going to change your mind. When he said in Isaiah 1.18, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord of hosts. You're not going to change God's mind. God says if you'll come and talk to me, I'll change your mind. You get in my presence, I will change your thoughts. I will change your mind. I will order your steps. I will show you the path to take. And of course, the Holy Spirit is always, always going to demand we take the high road. We have to, because that's what he's going to demand. Now, you don't have to take it. You don't, you're not made. God don't twist your arm and make you take it. But if you love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might, you will take the high road, because that's what the Spirit of God's going to demand. Listen. Every one of you listening to me tonight, you've been hurt by somebody, by something, a circumstance, or a situation. I've been done wrong so many times in the ministry by the church of God and different ones. And I could, I could stew and I could bitter and become hateful and arrogant and always a rotten, bad attitude. But you know what I tried to learn from those things? I tried to learn something from that to make me a better person. I come from a broken home. I can always play the victim and say, well, I got an excuse. <clears throat> my mother and daddy divorced and I got shuffled off to my grandparents and, you know, I, I didn't have a chance. No. I looked at those things and I said, Lord, help me to learn from those things to be a better man, a better person and have a better attitude. See, that's a choice. You know, Joshua said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Tomorrow, those of you listening, you're going to be confronted with a choice. And that choice, I don't know what it will be, but I promise you it will be one of the two. It will either be good or it will be evil. And then you're going to make that choice. I don't know what it will be. It could be at work. It could be at home. It could be a business deal. I don't know. But it will be up to you, and that's the warfare. The choice is, that's where the warfare comes in. Am I going to do the right thing? And then, when I've done the wrong thing, not only have I grieved my own spirit, I've grieved his spirit. Ephesians 4.30, Paul said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed until that day of redemption. You see, sin grieves God's spirit living in you. Just like Samson, when he, he utterly grieved the Holy Ghost to the degree that the Holy Spirit left him. And when he awoke the third time, God was gone, the anointing was not there, and they arrested him, and handcuffed him, blind and bored out his eyes, and put him at the millstone grinding. Why? 
made the wrong choice. He was in warfare and he made the wrong choice and was destroyed by it. And so if we don't walk in the Spirit, and this is a perpetual warfare until you die. I remember my grandmother, God bless her heart, 94 years old. And she said to me one day, she said, you don't think the devil still tempts me, do you? And I'm thinking, no. On the what in the world could he tempt you with? And she said, you'd be surprised the times he'll come to me and say, you're old. God doesn't love you no more. Or you've sinned. Or you've done something wrong. And you're not prepared to die. And, and I, you know, you never think about what people are thinking until they express it. But I'm thinking, well, what in the world could be tempting you at 94 years of age? But see, that's the mind. Satan knows where to go. You know, I, I don't necessarily know. This this is conjecture. That 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 Jesus had a physical encounter with Satan. Was it all spiritual and him? shooting those fiery darts at his mind or was Satan really there that, that, that's up for debate but I'll tell you one thing it was real it was real he was doing things to him he was trying to get him to fail as a man but as God the son of God he said no that's why he quoted every time out of the book of Deuteronomy the book of Deuteronomy is known as the book of obedience and he quoted from Deuteronomy uh, 8, 3, 8, 16, I believe it's 6 and 16. He quoted every time from that book. He was obedient to the Father, even obedient to the death of the cross. So I want to encourage you. You get in these places of warfare. It's your choice whether to win or to lose. And it will all be based on your choice to stay in the Spirit or yield to the flesh and go that way. And like an old preacher friend of mine, George Offer, he's dead and gone. He said, David, keep Adam dead. Keep the coffin lid nailed shut. Because if he ever gets out, he can do more damage in 15 minutes than you can correct in a lifetime. I was probably 30, 31 years old when he told me that. I never forgot that because I thought about that. You can do something. You can commit a sin, a sinful act, that you can never recover the rest of your life. If you don't believe that, ask some of the great men of God. Ask Jimmy Swagger, was it worth it? Ask Samson, was it worth it? Ask Judas Iscariot, was it worth it? But they let Adam out of the coffin, and Adam did something so destructive, so damning, they never fully recovered from it. And I don't want to be like that. But if you if you really love the Lord and pursue Him with all of your heart, I promise you God will take care of you. Steve, I'm going to give it back to you or Joe and Doug and let you guys close it out tonight. I, this pollen has gotten my voice so raspy, it's unbelievable. Okay, thank you, Pastor Langford. Pastor Langford, thevoiceofevangelism.com. That's thevoiceofevangelism.com, linked off of Hagman and Hagman. Steve, go ahead, sir. I want to take everybody to the first chapter of Ephesians, the second chapter and the third chapter, but just show you how beautifully the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to write this. Now, obviously, in context, you can go back and look at it, but I just want to read this. I identify the verse 
Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.20. I'm, I'm going to read it through, and then I'll give you the scriptures. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, and has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That stuff all reads like it's one uh, one paragraph, but it's Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1 20, which he, God, wrought in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Ephesians 2 6, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3 10, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. One last time without, and you'll see this. I didn't do this. Only, only I didn't separate these out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, which he wrought in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God. Is that not beautiful? That's that's four verses separated by probably 30 some verses in between some of those, yet it all flows together in the beautiful orchestration of the Holy Spirit. And just as the living God brings his word to life in our life, so do the, I would say, sometimes the frayed threads of different areas and of our lives, of the different, if you will, tapestry of his creation. He puts them into an order, the picture that he intended for us all the time, to finally come into focus. That's what this is talking about. What David said, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Only God can make that which is totally unfit, foul, uh, disgusting, and what most people would claim is totally out of the hand of redemption. And, Doug, I feel prompted to tell people this once again. Just like many who came to the conference and many will come to the coming conferences, God is going to use people that have been thrown by the wayside. Lose not track of the promise that the Lord has given to you many years ago. And it doesn't matter, and when I say it doesn't matter, provided you've confessed your sin, it does not matter how far you have strayed, because the closest position to heaven, you can instantly fall on your knees, and God felt repentance, turning away from your sin, and be restored to Jesus, just as if you've never sinned. Doug, that, Joe, pastor, that is one of the most beautiful and phenomenal uh, fruits of forgiveness that I know. Because the scripture says, if we sin, 
Jesus, if we confess our sin, he's just and faithful to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But in the same point, we don't sin that grace might abound. And while everyone's praying tonight, I would like you to uh, all remember Kim B. in your prayers without giving out her name. Her husband has uh, just passed away seven days ago. She's a woman of God. And though he did every cool, cruel and mean and horrid thing, she cared for him up until the very end. Uh, I'm not at liberty to go beyond that, but Kim, I, I pray that you be blessed beyond uh, your wildest imagination. You are a faithful handmaiden of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may God open up to you the heavens and refresh you and restore you. And may his hand of protection be upon you. And may the leading of Almighty God always go before you. And may you be invisible to all evil and enemies. God bless you, Kim B. Well, Doug, just as David's Steve. voice went, mine yeah, went. And again, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, I would just urge you, when people bear witness false and lying things, like on devil-like uh, blog that's on there, please don't go there. If that's where you're going as Christians, I think you better spend the next 30 minutes in prayer asking God if that's where he would have you. That's being like being a little bit pregnant. You may get a little truth, but in the end it will kill you. Doug, I think that you are uh, just really to be thanked and prayed for for allowing David and I uh, the opportunity to come on and share the good news of Jesus. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you, Joe. Happy birthday, Joe. And blessings to each and every one of you. All to come to Jesus will he in no wise cast aside. Good night, everyone. Good night, Steve. Good night, Thank Steve. you so much. And, and good, night, good, good night, Steve. Good night, Doug. I appreciate you so much for letting us God, God bless you, sir. Thanks, Pastor Thank Langford. Bye-bye. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. And I just want to echo Steve uh, Steve's sentiments about uh, Kim B. We do know, I do know Kim B. I had the honor, the, the privilege of spending some time with her uh, at an event. And uh, she's a, a just a lovely woman, a heart of gold. And I just, Kim, if you're listening, please accept, uh, please know that we're praying for you. Absolutely. You know, she, you're, you're just, uh, well. And hey, again, Gre- uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Greg Evenson and his family, his yes. wife and family needed to be kept in prayers. Um, there so many, I there. mean, so yeah. many people. You know what, folks? It, the time is short. Let, let's not, I don't know how else to say this. Let's not shoot each other. You know, let's not frag each other. Um, if, if that's what you want to do, if that's how you want to spend your time, I guess I guess that's what you've decided to do. But that's not what I want to do. And, Joe, I think that's not what you want to do either. No, that's right. Tomorrow, Dave, Dave Hodges. Hodges two, first two hours. Followed by Stan Deo. Yeah. Folks, commonsenseshow.com. Check out Dave's work, what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. Send your questions to studio at hagmanandhagman.com. Till tomorrow. God bless. This is the Global Star Radio Network.